Okay, we are in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. We are slowly making our way through this first book in the Bible. If you did not get a hard copy set of notes, you can raise your hand and somebody from the Connections team will hook you up. Otherwise, you can get digital copies on the social links. Um, Facebook, YouTube, mbtkc.org. <clears throat> Just keep your hand up till they find you and, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll get to work. Uh, real quick, so this Tuesday, we didn't do an announcement on prayer ministry today, right? There was no announcement on prayer ministry. Okay, so this Tuesday is prayer ministry, corporate prayer ministry. And um, in order to facilitate that, we have a family meal. Uh, this week, the family meal is fried chicken. Can I get an amen? Okay, it's fried chicken night. It's good, good loving. Okay, uh, to, in order to know how much food to prepare, we need people to sign up. It's tough to prepare when people just show up and we got to guess how much chicken to have. Okay, so every, just do us a favor. When you get the bulletin every week and you see what's on the menu, if you look on the bulletin, always in the sidebar, what's coming up this week will be listed there. Let that remind you to go online and register for the Tuesday night meal. We do the Tuesday night meal at cost. Actually, it's below cost. We subsidize that. The whole idea is that we can facilitate people getting home or getting from work to the prayer meeting. Okay, so um, good food, great price, uh, great opportunity to just facilitate everybody coming together in prayer. So every week, if you could do that. Now, the week that you forget, come on, there'll be enough food, but but let's not habitually not register and make it a challenge for the Tuesday night team. Is everybody with me on that? It takes you one minute, and uh, it'll, be a, it'll be a big help, okay? Genesis chapter 2, let's review. Let's pray first, but uh, we'll, uh, we'll actually be picking it up in verse 4 this morning. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And uh, Lord, it's for, for Jesus' sake that Christ would be magnified, that God, you'd be pleased, that you'd be glorified. We want to know what your word says so that we can receive it, that it might grow us, that it might mature us. Lord, that, that this time together in your word would conform us that much more to the image and the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God, we need your help. Without you, we can do nothing. And, and so, Lord, we ask for the help of the Spirit to open our understanding. Lord, give us the eyes and the ears to, to see, to hear, but, Lord, hearts and minds to just receive and submit to the, 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 the precious precepts of your word. Lord, I, again, just ask that you would just set aside the weakness of my flesh and, and that your word and your spirit would have its way with every heart. I uh, pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so what we're seeing in Genesis chapter two is a review. We are, we are literally just into the second chapter of the Bible, and God's reviewing the first chapter. Why? Repetition is the price of, yeah, some of you know that. Rep repetition is the price of learning. People will say, Miles, you spend anywhere from five to 15 minutes every week on the review if you just, you know, get on to the new. No, repetition is the price of learning. We have to review what we know. That's a biblical, that's a biblical principle. So let's review. In chapter two, verses one through three, this is where we were last time, we saw God's rest. 
God finishes the week with making Adam, male and female, created he them. So he finishes making Adam and then he rests from his work. So here's Adam, the Bible calls him God's child. He is Luke chapter 338, he is the son of God. And the first thing that he sees as God's son is God's rest. Uh, that, what an incredible principle that is. You and I, as the sons and daughters of God, we are to enter into his rest. Adam didn't have to do any of the work of creation, so also we don't have to do any of the work of salvation. The work of creation was finished, and so Adam, as a son of God, could just enjoy his relationship with God. Well, the same thing's true for you and I today. We didn't do any of the work of crucifixion, of salvation, we didn't do any of the work of burial and resurrection. Jesus finished the work, and so we can enter into that relationship of rest that we have with the Lord. We rest in the finished work of Christ. Galatians 5, 1 says, we are to stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Do you remember what it was like when you were trying to be right with God without God? <laughs> when you were trying to do right on your own? What a mess, what a confusing, entangling work that is. Don't, don't go back there. We also saw last time that just because it's a day of rest doesn't mean that God quits working. There's still, and we're gonna see this today, there is a labor to be performed in the garden, but it's reasonable. We saw the example from Hebrews last time of Israel entering into God's rest, the promised land. So they're in God's rest, but there's still a work to do. The difference is it's not their work, it's God's work. Is everybody with me? This is what the Lord says to us today. God is still working. There is a labor that must be performed, but it's not our labor, it's God's labor. Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus says to his disciples, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that's good. Working by myself, that's hard. But God working in and through his people, that's joy. That is a reasonable yoke. That is a reasonable work. Okay, today, we wanna pick it up in verse four. In verses four through seven, I'm gonna trust that we will see some generations, some provisions, and a formation. So let's start in verse four. The generations of the heavens and the earth, that'd be your first blank, generations. So again, what we're seeing here in chapter two is commentary on chapter one. And this is why in verse one, you see a summary statement summarizing what we saw in chapter one. It's a summary statement. It's repetition of the six days of work after they've been shown, the days of work were shown in chapter one. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. It's a review, isn't it? And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. Uh, he's done with that work. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all his work which he created and made. So last time we looked at the seventh day, uh, look, at, look at two, three, and notice it ends with a summary statement. God is now resting from all his work for which, from which he created and made. So it's a summary statement. We're summarizing what happened in chapter one. So... Let's keep that in mind. Let's keep that context in mind. 
as we pick up verse four, verse four is gonna continue to be summary, right? It's gonna continue to be a review. It's a summary statement. Verse four, these are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. Do you see that God's just still reviewing what he did in chapter one? It's repetition. I want you to keep a finger here in Genesis 2-4, and I want you to look at Genesis 5-1, okay? So just turn over a page or two to Genesis 5-1, and I want you to see the parallel structure. We need, to, we need to look at the generations of the heavens and the earth. What in the world are we looking for? What are we looking at? Well, in Genesis 5-1, here we see this is the book of the generations of Adam. Well, who's Adam's father? Well, God created him. God's his father, Luke 3.38, right? But these are the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made him, made he him, made God Adam. Okay, so what are the generations of Adam? Well, the generations are what come out of Adam, and you see that in the context in chapter five, because in Genesis 5, verses three through 31, it lists Adam's line. Chapter five is the book of the generations of Adam and then it proceeds to list those generations. Does everybody see that? That's what we're seeing in chapter five. Look over in Genesis chapter six. So the generations of Adam are what come out of Adam. That's your next blank. Adam's line, the genealogy of Adam. Look at Genesis six again. Notice the parallel structure. Genesis six, nine. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. We'll talk about that little tidbit when we get to chapter six. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations and Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. These are the generations of Noah. What are the generations of Noah? Well, it's what came out of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. They are his line. Does everybody see that? So we see the generations of Adam, what come out of him, his line. The generations of Noah, who are his kids, what came out of his line. So let's go back to Genesis chapter two. Now consider the heavens and the earth. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth. In the day that they were created, when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. So when we consider the generations of the heavens and the earth, what are we looking for? If the generations of Adam are what come out of Adam and the generations of Noah are Noah's kids, what come out of Noah, the generations of the heavens and the earth, we're looking for what came out of them, yes. I'd like to never got the first service to say that. This is the sharp class, okay. (laughs) Praise the Lord. What, What comes out? of the heaven and the earth. And just like we had to keep reading to see what came out of Adam and we had to keep reading to see what came out of Noah, what are we gonna do in chapter two? We're just gonna keep, just keep reading, reading. We're just gonna keep reading. (laughs) So here are the generations of the heavens and the earth and the day that God created, the the Lord God made them. Okay, so in Genesis 1-1, in that day, okay, that day, That day, what about that day? Okay, that day just, here's the shorthand for that. That day just means that time. You'll see that day stand for different time frames. Uh, The day of the Lord, the day. 
right? The day, the, the, the time, in the time that God made it. So in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, that's when he created the heaven singular and the earth. And we placed Lucifer's rebellion right there between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2 chronologically because that made all our cross-references come together, uh, made, our, made our Bible uh, fall in place for us. And you can go back and look at that uh, in, our, um, in our media section on our website. <clears throat> in chapter 1, verse 2, through the end of the chapter, end of chapter 1, in, that, in, in, the, in those days, right, we saw the restoration of the heavens and the earth. The day that the heaven was separated into heavens was day two. We saw that in chapter one, verses six and eight. And then in days three through six, we saw the rest of the restoration. And then on day seven, we saw rest. So what comes out of this rest, restoration? What comes out of the generations of the heavens and the earth? What do we see coming out of God's creation? Well, we need to read verses five through seven. You know, in Genesis chapter one, we saw many things coming out of God's creation. Uh, the sun, the moon, and the stars. Water life, the fowl. We saw plant life, we saw animal life. We saw many things coming out of creation. Here, what do we see coming out of God's creation? What comes after verse four? Verses five through seven. And what do we see there? Plants and people. That's what we see coming out of the generations of the heavens and the earth. He describes plants and people. So let's talk about the provision in the earth. Verse five, and every plant of the field before it was in the earth and, and every herb of the field before it grew. Why does God put in the earth this provision of plants? Why is that? Well, because a brother's gotta eat, that's why. These plants are food for the creatures. It's food for the man and the woman. Look back in Genesis chapter one, verse 29. God said, behold, I've given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. And to you it shall be for meat. So it's not a ribeye plant. Uh, meat here means food, okay? For you it will be food. It will be sustenance. And to every beast of the field, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life. That life that is given, it must be sustained. And so every plant is food for life. I have given you every green herb for meat. And it was so. So because Adam and Eve need to eat, there is plant life. Genesis 2, look at verse 16. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. We'll see the caveat to that in the next verse, but, but God's very generous, isn't he? Uh, the, the grocery store is full. The shelves are stocked. Uh, the food is just his for the taking. So I want you to get this down in your notes. What do we learn from this? What do we observe in God's generous provision? Well, we, we need to get this. God is a good father. I mean, Adam and Eve, this, these, these are his children. And so he is a good father, and a good father provides for his own. Notice how God has worked all week to make a place and make a provision for his children. Fathers provide. And God models this for Adam. Okay, we'll, we'll see this in just a second. God worked to provide, 
because he's going to put Adam to work in order to provide. We'll see that in a minute. But look at God's provision for you and I today. Philippians 4 verse 19 says, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You may listen to that and say, that is just a dirty lie. I need a Lamborghini. No, you don't. God knows that will get you killed. You don't need a Lamborghini. You just need to get to work. And that's why he gave you a hoopty. And you're working on it all the time. That's keeping you humble. And so you, you, need a, you need a ride to work. That's what you need. You don't need a Lamborghini. He doesn't promise to supply all your wants, but he will give you what you need because he's a good father. Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Man, let the focus of your life be on being with God, knowing God. The way God designed it is for us to walk with him. The first children walked with God in the cool of the garden. They walked with the voice of the Lord. And as children of God, nothing should change for you and I today. We should be walking with God. So seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then everything that you see in Matthew chapter 6, all those things that are needed, that people are out there just seeking and trying to get so they can survive. God says, I'll make sure I take care of you. All these things shall be added unto you. Why? Because God's a good father. My Bible tells me that we never see the righteous begging for bread. Uh, God always provides for his own. Well, I need to eat, so where's the bread? It's called a job. If any man refuses to work, the New Testament teaches us, then they, don't ha- they must not be very hungry. Uh, we need to eat, so we need a job. And so God is a good father, and he's modeling fatherhood for Luke, that's, or for Adam. That's why he spends the week working so that Adam's provided for, because he's going to turn right around and put Adam to work in the garden. What's he tell him? Uh, replenish the earth, chapter 1. That's his job. We have already looked at that. Adam, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. Adam looks at Eve and he's like, right on, get down. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm all about it. Uh, that's the fun part of his job. But then the second part is to dress and keep the garden. We'll see that in chapter 2, verse 15. So in other words, Adam, he needs a job. If he's going to be a good father, if he's going to be a good provider, he needs a job. You need a job. I need a job. We need a job. 2 Thessalonians 3.12 says that with quietness we're to work and to eat our own bread. Don't be a mooch. It's not somebody else's job to put food on your table. Uh, You need to work so that you can eat your own bread. 2 Timothy 3.12. 1 Timothy 5.8. This is where it gets real serious. But if any man, right, if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he may call himself a Christian and claim he's born again and he's saved, but he don't live like it. He hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Man, do you hear that? Your, your wife, your kids are suffering lack because you won't get to, well, you don't understand. I got a bad back. I, I, I've, been, I've been dealt a raw hand. I've been, I've been dealt a bad deal. You don't understand, pastor. Well, then go get a job where you can work your bad back. But you're not at a place where you can rest until you found work. Do you see that? You are the provider for your home. That is the role that God gave you. And if you don't provide for your home, the Bible says you're worse than an unbeliever. This is not Christian. This is not biblical faith. What I need is a job. Wow, I can't find one. 
get full of faith, put work overtime. You want to put in an 80-hour week looking for the job that God has for you. Amen? Man, turn to your neighbor and say, get a job, you bum. No, don't do that. Don't call them names. We need a job, right? How many this morning would say, Pastor, I need a job? Let me see your hand. I'm looking for work right now. We want to pray for you. We got one right over here. Anybody else looking for work? I mean, 2020 was a rough year. A lot of, a lot of shifting in the job market. How many jobs are we praying for this morning? So we got just one person's looking for a job. Man, we are blessed people. And praise the Lord. Normally, there's like six or seven people looking for work at any one time. Man, praise the Lord. We will pray for a job. Praise the Lord. But we want to we get full of faith and put in an overtime week looking for the job that God has for us so that we can provide bread for our home. Because we have to take care of our family. And we can trust the Lord for the provision to do that. We need a job. Okay, so Adam needs a job. You say, but it's paradise, it's heaven. <laughs> yeah, guess what? There's work in heaven. Can you imagine? People get this idea that heaven because you watch, you, you watch too many cartoons and magazines and things like that. And so heaven's always depicted as a bunch of fluffy clouds and everybody's laying around and you got a harp with four strings. You know how boring that's gonna get in eternity? You got a harp with four strings and that's gonna be heaven for you just laying around on a cloud? What a miserable waste of forever and ever, amen. Uh, man, I wanna work, I wanna do something. God made us to build, he made us to, he made us to, to, to expand, he made us to work. Man, you're the most happy when you're doing the work that God designed you to do, that he called you to perform. Adam needs a job. I know it's heaven. That's part of what makes heaven heaven is there's something to do that's productive. So look at verse five. Here it is. You need a job. I need, Adam needed a job too. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth and every herb of the field before it grew for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth. Here it is now. And there was not a man to till the ground. There was no, it was a job opening. There was a vacancy needed to be filled. Uh, but, but, but there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. Okay, so let's talk about verse six first. You remember, this is after Satan's fall, and so you need to get this down, get this fixed in your mind. Everything in creation at this point is pronounced good. Go back to chapter 1, verse 31. And God saw what? Everything. That's an all-encompassing word, isn't it? It's not everything but this, that, or the other. No, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So there is the provision of plants for food, but plants need water. So he has a mist that waters those plants, and it's all good. The mist does the watering, not the rain. There's no rain yet. That shows up in chapter 6. We now see rain in chapter 6 through 8, and that comes in response to God's judgment over the sin of mankind as a whole. Um, so so that, that forces that cross-reference. Rain comes in judgment. We'll see also that the climate of the earth will radically change in chapters 6 through 9. Uh, but God's kingdom is good. Everything works. Plant is to be provision, right? The trees are to be provision. They need water, and so there's no rain. There's a mist that comes up out of the ground, and it's all good. God says it's good. It's part of the things that God has created. But one thing is missing. There's not a man to till the ground. 
Everything's been created, but there's one thing out of order. It has to be rectified here in chapter two. God's kingdom is good, it works, but it needs a steward. That's your next blank. You remember we saw this in eternity past. Who is the chief steward? Who is the manager of God's kingdom? Well, it's Lucifer himself, isn't it? He is, the Bible described him as the anointed cherub that covers the throne of God. He's creation's first worship leader. He is the nexus through which everything in God's kingdom is organized and ordered until he manufactures a spirit of antichrist and he starts standing in the place of God as God showing himself that he's a great replacement for God, showing himself that he is God. And so God said, you're fired. I can't do my Donald Trump. Uh, you remember The Apprentice? Can somebody do it? Is there, is there anybody that can do that? Seth, d- can you do a you're fired? <laughs> you got to put your lips out. You're fired. There it is. I got it. Yeah. <laughs> you're fired. Okay. So he fires them. And now there's a job vacancy, right? We need a steward. We need someone to manage the kingdom for God's glory. So uh, you want to get this down. Um, you know, in Genesis chapter one, we're seeing a, a shift of the guard, a shift of order taking place. If Lucifer's fired, we put that chronologically between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. He was fired because he stood in the place of God. He rebelled against God. So he's gotta be replaced. Okay, why is Adam so necessary? Okay, if you're gonna understand your Bible, you have to understand dispensational theology. Uh, There's the word, that's how it's spelled. We've got it there for you on the screen. You need to understand dispensational theology. Um, There is a a cyclical pattern that you see repeat in your Bible seven times, and it's illustrated for you in Luke chapter 16. Jesus tells a story that gives a pattern for what we see happening in God's kingdom over and over again. Luke 16, verse one, Jesus says to his disciples, here it is, there was a certain rich man which had a steward. Okay, the rich man, he represents who? He represents God. And the steward, he represents who? Well, you and I, we're we're stewards of the living God. Moreover, of stewards, it's required that a man be found faithful. Okay, so the steward is the one who manages God's affairs for his glory. Watch how this lays out. There was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same, the steward, which he was accused unto the rich man that he had wasted his goods. Verse two says, and he, the rich man, called him the steward, and said unto him, how is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest no longer be steward. You see that word that's rendered steward, stewardship, steward, that, that is a word that means economy. It's someone who is a dispenser. It all belongs to the rich man, but somebody's in charge of managing it. Uh, You know, they got to make some calls on behalf of the rich man, on behalf of the master. Well, that's how God operates. He has a kingdom, and he wants his steward to manage those resources for his glory. So what you'll see, that word steward is the same word that means economy or dispensation. It's a dispenser of a master's resources. So in this story, there's a rich man. He has a steward and the steward fails the master. He's judged and he must be replaced. And you'll see this, bi- this pattern in the Bible repeat itself seven times in biblical human history. 
God has a chief steward. They're instructed in what they ought to do. They fail in that instruction. They fail in that stewardship. And then someone is set up to replace them. And that pattern repeats seven times, and we call it classic dispensational theology. It's a way to approach our Bible so that we, so that we rightly divide it. How God dealt with Adam is different than how God dealt with Moses. How God dealt with Adam is different than how God dealt with the nation of Israel. How God dealt with the nation of Israel is different than, God, than how God deals with the church in the dispensation of grace. Do you see that? The way that God's economy, his kingdom is managed is di different dependent on where you're at in biblical human history. So what's happening here is Satan is being replaced by Adam as the chief steward in God's dispensation. Verse seven, so what comes out of the generations of the heavens and the earth? Well, we saw, we saw in chapter one a whole bunch of things coming out of that, but here it's plants and people. Verse seven says, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. So this is critical to get down. Notice that Lucifer's replacement is made from the dirt of his former kingdom. Ezekiel 28 says that Satan operated from Eden. Eden. He walked in Eden. He walked among the stones of fire in Eden. So this was the, Eden was the place of Satan's headquarters. You're fired. Okay, so he gets fired. And then God, I mean, talk about an insult. God takes the dirt from the ground where Lucifer used to operate on and, or operate from and he makes his replacement. In other words, Lucifer, dirt can do a better job than you did. I mean, how, ins how insulting is that to be, I mean, I mean, you're dumber than mud? I mean, you're worse than mud. No wonder Satan's got this massive ax to grind against Adam and Eve, okay? Does everybody see the setup coming? So he's made from dirt. So let's look at the formation of Adam. This is your next blank in your notes. Let's study some primary anthropology, biblical anthropology. What I want you to put together here from chapters one and two is Adam is unique in all in terms of all the creatures in God's creation, Adam's unique in that he was both made and created and formed. Okay, look at Genesis 1.26. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let's give them a job. They need to have dominion. So God created man, verse 27, in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Uh, God counts two sexes. If gender is a spectrum, it's a very short one, and there's two settings, male or female, okay? So, so God, God, God makes, God creates, but Adam was formed, right? When God made him, he formed him out of the dust of the ground. And so, so this is where it gets unique. God, God got personal. He got up close. He formed him, verse 7 says, from the dust of the ground. The name Adam means from the earth. Uh, it comes from a root meaning uh, red, the red earth. Uh, he's made from, from the clay, from the soil, from the dust of the ground. 1 Corinthians 15 describes what this looks like. Okay, we'll, we'll look at this a couple times this morning. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 47 talking about Adam. The first man is of the earth, earthy. 
uh, and the proof is still in this, okay? Whenever uh, you, we don't, we don't talk like this a lot in our very modern times, but not, it was just a, f- a few short years ago, uh, we'd get next to someone that maybe had been a day or two since they'd been in the shower and maybe forgot the, the deodorant, you know, and we'd say, uh, you smell a little earthy. What, what are we saying? Uh, you're, you're smelling a little uncivilized, right? The first man is of the earth, earthy. And so, you know, guys in the world live like guys in the world. The second man is the Lord from heaven. Man, it's all about, it's all about no longer being reckoned in the first man in the earth. We want to be reckoned in the second man, the second Adam, uh, the heavenly man. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. Uh, we're, we're of our father and we fulfill his lust. We live like he did. That's who we are in the flesh. But as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. As, and as we have borne the image of the earthly, everybody in terms of their physical birth, they're a chip off the old block. You must be born again. I want to be a chip off the heavenly block. Amen? So just like we bore the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Okay, we'll come back to that in just a minute. The other thing that we notice from Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, is that man is a trinity, like God. He is, he's created in God's image, so he's Trinitarian in nature. He's got a body, he's got a soul, he's got a spirit. But look how he becomes a living soul. It's when the breath of God enters into the dust from which he fashioned Adam's flesh, right? It's when the breath of God enters into the dust of the ground that God forms man. The Bible says man became a living soul. So God formed him, he made him, he created him. There's a making of the body. There's the breathing in of his breath. But then something entirely new became. And it was this, it was this, uh, what is the word? Uh, It was this, it's not, transmutation is not the right word. There's another one that's close to it. It's It's the physical creation merging with the life of God and man becomes this new thing becomes, man becomes a living soul. Now, we've mentioned this briefly before, but I want to come back to this. We need to know that both man and animals, the, the animal creation, come from the dust of the ground. We see the proof of that. Everything that dies goes back to dirt. So both come from the dust, but both have a spirit. Look at Ecclesiastes 3.18. 3.18 through uh, 21. In 18 and 19, we see that man and beast have everything in common. Um, Man and beast both die the same. Look at verse 20. All go into one place. All that are of the dust, all are of the dust, and all turn to dust again. Uh, You're going to die, and when you do, you'll turn to dirt. just takes a little while, but it'll happen. But then verse 21 gives us other great insight. Who knoweth the spirit of a man that goeth upward... And the spirit of the beast that goeth downward to the earth. So an animal spirit, when it dies, an animal, we know it has a spirit because it's alive, right? And that word, living creature, that's the same word that's translated soul in describing man becoming a living soul. We know that the soul of an animal is different than the soul of a man in that the spirit of an animal is different than the spirit of a man. 
There's a difference between the two. When an animal dies, his body does the same thing that a man's body does. It turns back to dirt. But the spirit that gave it life goes back to the earth. Well, that makes sense. We saw that in the Bible. God spoke to who when the living creatures, when the earth produced the living creatures? Where'd they come from? They came from the earth, didn't they? God speaks to the earth, let the earth bring forth, and so it brought forth these living creatures. So what Ecclesiastes is giving us insight to, I don't understand the, the, the spiritual mechanics of it. I don't claim to understand it at all. I just know that the spirit of an animal comes from the earth, and when the animal dies, that spirit goes back to the earth because Ecclesiastes says so. But the spirit of a man, when he dies, that spirit goes back to God. Well, I thought that was my spirit. It wasn't your spirit. I mean, it was, but it wasn't. You had it on loan from the Lord. God breathed into Adam the breath of life, and man becomes a living soul. So God's breath, God's spirit enters into a man, and then that's what gives him a soul. Again, I don't understand all of that. I don't know how it works. I just know that when a person dies, the spirit that makes his life possible, that goes upward, the Bible says, Man is different, though, from the beasts of the earth because he's created in the image and the likeness of God. God makes him a living soul so he can discern right and wrong, and we'll get into this next time. He can discern both right and wrong. That means he can live by choice, not by instinct. You know, your animal, whatever pet you choose, right? Your animal does what animals do, it's, and, we, and we describe those behaviors. We say, well, that's the instinct of that breed or that species of animal. Um, if you throw a stick, a dog has to chase it. I don't know why. I can do it 50 times. The dog can be like, <laughs> I throw the stick and off he goes, sucker. I mean, he has to, it, it, it's prey. He has to chase it. It's, it's instinct. How do these birds and these fish find where they were hatched? Or, I mean, it's incredible, you know? But man, man makes choices. He can discern right or wrong. Now, we can see lost men live like animals. We can even say, see saved men live like animals um, because they're of the earth, earthy. But they're still accountable to God. Look at Ecclesiastes 12, 7. A man's spirit goes back to God. He gives an account. Ecclesiastes 12, 7. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was. So your body goes back to the earth. And the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Boom, there it is. The spirit returns unto God who gave it. Well, how did we get that spirit? Look at Genesis 2, 7 again. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. It is the inspiration of God that gives life. There's no life outside of the inspiration of God. That's a great principle. If you're going to understand your Bible, you just got to get that. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Well, what happened? God breathed his life into him, and man became, he lived. Well, how? Well, Jesus tells us how. John chapter 1, verse 4, in him, in Jesus, was life. He told his disciples, I am the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the life. Number 16, 22, they fell upon their faces and said, oh God, the God of the spirits of all flesh. God is the God of the spirits of our flesh. So how did this work? Okay, man, here's where you need to really dial in, okay? Turn to your neighbor and tell them, are you taking notes, are you listening? You don't wanna miss this. 
Make sure everybody's awake. In this, I want you to see the parallel between man and the Word of God. Man, just like the Word of God, if he's to live, if he's a living man, he has to be God-breathed. Do you see that from Genesis 2-7? If he's a living man, he's God-breathed. Well, that's how the Word of God comes. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is given by what? By God breathing the breath of life, by inspiration, in spirit. You want to, here's your hack, here's your theological hack, your terminology hack for the word inspiration, in spirition. Do you see that? It's, it's, it's the same principle of God breathed. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. What about man? Job 32, verse 8. But there is a spirit in a man. Where did he get it? Well, it's the God of all, the, the, the God of the spirits of all flesh, Numbers 16, 22. That's where he got that spirit. There is a spirit in a man, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. That's the capacity of the living soul to have understanding. See, here's the thing Adam had to be birthed but he couldn't have a birth if there's no life. So God gives his life to Adam. He inspirited him. He, Adam was God-breathed. Adam is a product of the inspiration of God. What we're gonna see in, in chapter three is that the life that he has in God, from God, he ends up destroying that. Um, the, 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 we'll, we'll talk through all of it. But in the day that he ate, in rebellion against the word of God, he died that day. He was cut off from the life of God. And we'll see, it, both spiritually but also literally, Adam died that day. Remember the principle of the millennial day? Remember that? Does Adam break a thousand? Nope. He died that day. Okay? So, so what happens? He's giving birth to children, not in the likeness and the image of God. It's after his own fallen, sinful likeness and image. This is why the Bible says, in Adam all die. In who are we all made alive? It's in Christ, right? You must be born again. Well, how do I get born again? I mean, how do I do? Well, I have to be inspirited. That's what has to happen. See, in Adam, my spirit is dead. It's cut off from the life of God. But in Christ, I made one with him. I have to be inspirited. I must be born again. I need to be made a new creature in Christ. Well, how did that happen? I have to intake the inspired word of God. The Bible says that we're saved by grace through faith. Faith in what? Well, it's faith in the gospel. That's how we're saved, isn't it? Faith cometh by hearing, Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the inbreathed inspire it by the word of God. So whenever I hear the word of God, what's happening? God is speaking to me. I'm hearing the word of God. It's coming into me and I believe on it. What happens now? This soul just received the life of God. That's what happened. Because I believe on the inspired word of God, it is now speaking to me. I'm not rejecting it. I'm receiving it. Yeah, you know what? That's exactly what I, that's exactly the answer I've been looking for. I know my sin separated me from you, God. I know my rebellion and my wickedness 
was abhorrent to you and you had to judge it. And eternity separate from you in hell was the only answer. And I know, I believe it, that you're not willing that I would perish. You so love the world. Your goal, your heart, your objective is that all would be saved. And that's why you sent the Lord Jesus Christ to be reckoned my wickedness, my evil rebellion against you. He took all of that upon himself and nailed it to his tree, Colossians chapter two. I know that you reckoned the Lord Jesus Christ, the only one who lived a perfect sinless life. I could never do it. He's the only one that could. He lived the life I should have lived and he took all of the wrong. He committed none of it, but he took it all upon himself. That's what the word says. And you reckoned him my sin that day and you poured out your wrath on him. And he died for my sin and he was buried in the grave for three days and on the third day he rose to eternal life. And all I have to do is confess my sin and repentance and call on the Lord Jesus Christ as my savior, my Lord, my sin bearer. God, forgive me. Come into my heart and life and save me. Lord Jesus, I give my life to you, give me yours. And God says, deal. I believe it, you know? When I believe on the gospel of Jesus Christ, what happens? I'm born again. The word of God, God speaks into my life and I become a new creature. Do you see that? We need a second birth. We need to be born again so that my life, my soul is no longer tied to Adam in the earth, earthy, but it's tied to the heavenly man, amen? That's what I need. I need to be born again. I need to be a son of God. That comes by inspiration. It's the living, breathing word of God. Isn't that what the word of God is? Isn't it alive? Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is quick. It's alive. It is a living word. I need to be a new creature by the inspired word of God. You do too. Are you a new creature? Has that happened for you? Are you born again? More than that, right? Families need to grow. They need to be sustained. I need a living word for that. When God made Adam, he put him in a garden. Every day in the, cool of the even, in the cool of the day, he's walking with the word of God, the voice of the Lord. He's speaking to him. It's sustaining, this sustaining word in the garden of God. I need that. Look back at 1 Corinthians 15 again. Christ is called the second man, the second Adam. When God made the first Adam, he created him after his likeness, after his image. Adam's rebellion corrupted that likeness and image. And in Genesis chapter five, the Bible is explicitly telling us that Adam's children are born after his likeness, after his image. It's a fallen, sinful likeness and image. When Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost, he's coming to restore the lost image in man. This is the message to the believer. We are to be conformed to what? The image of our creator, to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we find out in Romans 8 is that everything that's happening in our life is working to conform us to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you get saved, that starts you on this restoration. Uh, you know, on HGTV, there's all these restoration shows. Those are hack knockoffs of what God is really doing. He's conforming you to the image of the creator. Man, how amazing is that? Talk about a restoration process. I need to be restored to the image of Christ. Okay, so look at 1 Corinthians 15 again. The first man is of the earth, earthy. Some people look like they live in the world. The second man is the Lord from heaven. Some people look like they know Jesus. 
As is the earthy, such are they that also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Man, perform that work in me, Lord. I, I want to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, guess what? You can want it all you want, but it's not going to happen if you're not listening to his voice. It has to be in breathe. God has to put it in you. If the image is going to come out of you, that means it's got to be in you. How do I get the mind of Christ? How am I conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, you go through life and God works it all together for good. Well, is that going to happen if you're biblically illiterate? Is that going to happen if you don't know the mind of Christ, if you don't know how God's working it all together for good? No, I have to be, I have to be walking with the voice of the Lord, don't I? This is the way. You hear a lot of that, man. This is the mission. It's all, I mean, we are on a mission from God to see souls saved. I mean, Mando was looking to save some little Yoda baby, but... But, but we're looking to propagate sons of God, to see the image of God restored in humanity. That's the mission. This is the way. This was the first mission that God gave Adam and Eve. Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. So that's the question on the floor this morning is, are you in? You're not going to be effective in that mission if you're not growing in Christ. Can I just tell you something? The last 12 months have been rough, haven't they? Uh, the last 12 months have been a challenge on a lot of levels. And the way Satan wants to use it, he wants to work all things together for your destruction. Satan wants to work all things together for your good, doesn't he? Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Jesus wants to work all things together for your good, doesn't he? Come back, to, come back to me, children. Come back. He wants to work all things together for your good. Well, guess there is an enemy, and he's very much at work. He wants to work all things together for your destruction. He wants to depress you. He wants to derail you. He wants to dissuade you. He wants to destroy you. That's what he wants to do. And so what he will try to do is he'll try to use the events of your life to show you that a walk with Christ doesn't work. And guess what? According to your faith, be it unto you. You want to live like that and you want to think like that? Well, guess what? You'll, you'll get that. And because you are a living soul, God will let you do that. You, we do not have in our creator a monster. He doesn't force us, we're not robots, we're not automatons, he wants our heart. You have to give that to him. Uh, you have to, in faith, believe on him. Like you got saved, that's how you lived. You live by grace through faith. Is what God said true? Do you believe it? Not just in terms of intellectual assent, but you're going to put your life on it. You're going to believe on it. So here's what happens. 2020 unfolds, and how many people get out of the habit of going to church? They said, uh, I heard this over and over again last fall, 12 weeks is what it took most people to go from, from having a walk of accountability before the Lord with God's people to they're just in the world. I can't figure out why nothing's going right. They're depressed, they're, they're scared, they're anxious. Man, God didn't give you a, a spirit of fear. What spirit did God give you? A spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind, right? But God's people, how many of God's people are thinking crazy over the last 12 months? See, God works all things together for your good. Some of you, you need to come back, okay? It, it, it's past time. 
Uh, some of you need to come back, get back in the habit of accountability before God with God's people. Why? Because we need the word of God. We need to be walking with the voice of the Lord. Man, it's the cool of the day. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's hear the voice of our Savior because we need to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want to look like the first man. I want to look like the second. I don't want to look like, I don't want to act like, I don't want to think like the earthy man. I want to think like the heavenly. I need, I need God to breathe into me. So how many of God's people are like, okay, breathe, breathe, breathe. No, it doesn't work like that. Let him whisper into your soul. That's how it works. Is everybody with me? Father, I come to you right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, you are the mighty God. What a beautiful day it is. We're hearing just a, just a, a faint, just a, a slight fraction of just the power that you put on display in creation. You are the mighty, you are the living God. And um, man, you breathe into us. Thank you. Thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for your inspired word. Lord, help us to cling to it like life itself. <laughs> Lord Jesus, in you is life. Your word is a word of life. It is a living word. Just like Adam needed sustenance, we need sustenance. Uh, Lord, create in us an appetite, a hunger. But Lord, you know how it works. Uh, we have to eat the stuff in order to get hungry for it. <laughs> and so I just pray for a lot of good decision making this morning, that we'll get accountable to know you in your word, that we'll get accountable to walk with you in your word with God's people. Uh, we don't, how many people, Lord, were full of faith and on fire five years ago, but then they let life happen to them and, and they let life take them out of dependence and faith on you and, and into a place of worldly wisdom and worldly thinking and worldly living. And Lord, it's just so unfulfilling and it's so disappointing. God, all you've ever been to us is awesome. All you've ever been to us is a good father. And so Lord, uh, help us to be followers of the Lord Jesus. Help us to magnify him through our submission to his word. And then God, you be glorified in your people. We want to be the sons and daughters that you designed. Uh, Lord, help us to not break your heart. Help us to please your heart. And so God, I just ask for your grace for right decisions, all in Jesus' name. <laughs>